Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Morning. Welcome to the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Dore. Appreciate you joining us today. It's one of those weeks we really love. It's FOMC meeting. We get to learn about interest rates this week. And for nerds like us, that's a pretty big deal. So we hope you'll stick around and let us walk you through what's coming this week. But before we do that, I do want to do the thing we do every week and remind you that what you're about to hear today should not be construed as individual investment advice. This is a much broader discussion of the economic issues affecting the market and affecting our thinking on the market. We hope you'll find it useful, but we would encourage you to speak with your financial advisor before you make any decisions based off of this conversation. With that in mind, let's dig into this week. We're calling this week Powell versus Putin. (laughs) Fed Chairman Powell is going to have a lot to say about what happens in the market for the next few weeks and months later this week on Wednesday. And Lord knows Vladimir Putin's having a lot to say about what's happening in the market and the economy right now, especially after last week. When we put our latest podcast out last week, we talked about a lot of things, but President Biden unleashed what I would call probably his biggest economic weapon against Russia right after we went kind of wide with this podcast. And that was his ban on the importation of Russian oil. It's a big deal. It's especially a big deal in an inflationary environment that we're seeing right now. So when you combine that with what was a pretty bad inflation print last week, we certainly are starting to see a little bit of nervousness in the marketplace today. We're starting to see some changing expectations about what the Fed is going to do. And so while we cannot tell you how things are going to pan out in Ukraine, nor can anybody else. And we can't tell you what the FOMC is going to say on Wednesday. We can get a little bit of a better understanding by looking at some of these new data points and trying to interpret how they're going to impact Americans, how they're going to impact checkbooks, wallets, and and how they're going to impact the broader economy. So let's, let's dive into that. First of all, let's start on oil. I think before we can understand what the ban on Russian oil products means, I think we need to better understand the U.S. energy economy because forget Ukraine for a second. It has been a volatile few years in energy markets. It'd be great to blame Vlad. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who would love to blame President Biden. I know there are people who would love to find a way to blame President Trump. I don't think it's that easy. And so let's start first with the demand conversation because there's a great chart in our weekly insight this week. You can see it on our website. The demand for petroleum products in the United States has continued to grow for the last 30 years, but it's been growing at a slow rate. Going back to 1990 um, and through basically the end of last year, total oil production, or excuse me, total oil product consumption has grown about 27% over the last 32 years. So that's a a pace of a little bit less than 0.9% a year. That's a fraction of the demand growth for oil products that's been happening throughout the rest of the world. But there was one big change in that, and that big change, that big correction happened during COVID. So over the course of one month, we went from consuming about 21 million barrels of oil a day to consuming about 14 million barrels, a drop of about 35%. That one month wiped out all of the growth we had seen from 1990 to 2020. Our demand was below our 1990 demand levels in April of 2020. That is a big deal. 
As you know, anybody who's been listening to this podcast knows, I am a very passionate believer in the laws of supply and demand. So we saw a violent swing in demand. As such, we would expect to see an equally violent swing in production, and we did. We saw one. U.S. production of energy dropped from 400 million barrels a month in December of 2019 to 300 million barrels a month in May of 2020. So over five months, we saw a drop of 25%. Well, the first thing you say is, well, Andrew, demand dropped 35%. Supply only dropped 25%. Yes, but it's important to understand that oil is not a product that you can turn on and off like a light switch. It's not easy to do that. Once a well is producing, it's producing. It costs a lot of money to go and cap that well. So the way you bring down production is not through turning wells off. It's through reducing the number of new wells that you put in place. You're dealing with something called depletion. So when you, when you think about a well, every well you drill, it's going to have its most productive time at the beginning of the well because there's the most pressure in the well. And over time, that production is going to fade. And so if you're not replacing that production every year, you're depleting your production. And so that actually continued. So I talked about 300 million barrels a month in May of 2020. It wasn't actually until February of 2021 the U.S. energy production hit its bottom. U.S. energy production hit its bottom at 273 million barrels a month in February of 2021, a full year after the pandemic started. So now two years later, we've seen a nice spike back. We're back to 358 million barrels a month, but we still have a long way to go because rig counts dropped drastically. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And until we can really get that production ramped up, until we can compensate for the amount of wells we didn't drill during that time period, it's very hard to bring production back into play. We're talking about a shortage of oil. We're talking about an embargo against a foreign adversary. We're talking about high inflation. Anybody who's 50 years or older is thinking right now, wow, this sounds like the 1970s, right? Sort of, not quite, because we have to remember that the U.S. energy picture today is vastly different than it was in the 1970s. Back in 1973, when OPEC announced its oil embargo, it was against the United States, it was against Canada, the Netherlands, there was a few other countries. But back at that point when they shut off our supply of Middle East oil, we consumed 16% more energy than we produced. And despite all of the geopolitical implications of that, things didn't get better. Things actually got worse. Over the next 20 years, our reliance on foreign sources of petroleum grew from 16% to over 35% of our domestic consumption. That was in 2007. Well, what changed in 2007? Fracking. We figured out how to frack for oil and frack for natural gas. Now, I am not here today to talk about the ecological implications of that. You know, we can go back and forth, which is which is better for the world, us fracking here or us relying on tin pot dictators in other countries to frack and, and, and produce oil. That's a whole other conversation. But this scientific advancement absolutely fundamentally changed our nation's ability to be energy independent. In fact, by 2020, 13 years later, we were a net exporter of petroleum products from the United States. That was a massive shift. So now you say, well, hey, man, we're a net exporter. Why do we care about banning Russian oil? So it's an interesting thing because we both import and export uh, oil and oil products. 
And I think one of the most important things is that about 8% of our market for distillate products, so those are refined products from the energy production process, about 8% of our distillate product come from Russia. So that is a big deal. We're in a much better place than we were 50 years ago. We're in a much better place than we were 13 years ago. But until we can get that production ramped back up, it is going to be difficult for us to compensate in the short term, especially as it results to the price paid at the pump by the average American. And today, rig counts. I said we were going to talk about this. So pre-COVID, we had about 800 active wells uh, being drilled every week in the United States. Today, now, now, because of the COVID decline, that number dropped to about 200 wells. It's been on a slow climb ever since then. It's slow and steady climb, but still slow. And today we have about 650 rigs working. 650 rigs is way less than 800 to be able to get us back to our production level that we need to be at. It's going to take getting more rigs actively involved. What is going to change that? There's an old saying in the energy industry. The cure for high energy prices is high energy prices. For the last couple of years, energy producers, the big ones like Exxon and Chevron, the little guys, some of our clients are familiar with a company named Birchcliffe Energy. They have made a decision that in order to keep their shareholders happy, they are going to focus more on cash flow than they're going to focus on exploration. So I'll use Birchcliffe Energy as a great example. Birchcliffe has made the decision for the last couple of years to keep production flat, meaning they are not going to drill enough wells to grow their production. They are going to just keep their production level stagnant. They're going to have to drill a few wells each year to deal with that depletion we talked about. But they want to maximize cash flow, and they want to use that maximized cash flow to pay down debt and to pay a dividend to shareholders. Good, bad, you know, indifferent. It is a, a choice that these energy companies are making today to say our priorities are more on paying down debt and cash flow. But when they look at $120 oil, they're going to be much more tempted to go out and start borrowing cash because they can see the profitability uh, of new rigs and new, new wells being drilled at those levels. So as we've seen over the last 24 months, it takes time to get the wells drilled. It takes time to get them into production. It takes time to get the oil to the refineries. The question is, how patient are the American people going to be? Right now, polling suggests the American people are willing to pay that cost to put Putin in his place and help support the Ukrainians. Wall Street Journal poll last week showed that 79% of Americans supported the ban. What I found most interesting was that 77% of Republicans and 88% of Democrats supported the ban. We have finally found a bipartisan decision. We'll see how long that lovely bipartisan feeling and the patience that surrounds it lasts. But this is going to continue to be a big conversation in portfolios and, frankly, for the economy and for the inflation conversation as well. So let's move on to the inflation conversation and start tying those things together. Because as we head into this latest FOMC week in the markets, the economic fairies had one more bad news print for us on inflation last week. Inflation was uh, up 7.9% in the month of February. That is the highest number we've seen in 40 years, and it is enough to keep us and the market guessing on what the Fed is actually going to do on Wednesday. We've talked for the last several weeks about some of the improving underlying conditions and issues surrounding inflation. Wage growth was flat in February. 
Consumer purchases of durable goods have fallen rapidly. Manufacturers' inventories are improving. The wait times at ports are all getting better. All of that is true. All of that is positive. If you took away the issue of the Russia's of Russia's war with Ukraine and you took away the issue of oil prices, one could be very compelled to say that this would be a very positive sign on inflation. But we have to also address the Russian bear in the room. This war is going to have a wider impact on the economy than just the price of oil. That's a big one. It's going to affect consumers at the pump. It's also going to make it more expensive to ship goods via ships, via planes, via trains, via truck, all of which use oil. But this war is also disrupting shipping lanes in the Black Sea. It's also going to affect shipments via rail and air on routes that pass over or through Russia. There was one uh, shipping container CEO this week that said, quote, this will only worsen the state of container pileups. The White House is already getting in front of this. On Thursday, the White House Council of Economic Advisors tweeted out that they expect, quote, substantially higher, end quote, inflation figures in the coming months, and they're pinning the blame directly on energy prices. So that leaves us with the question of what's the Fed going to say this week? Uh, as we've said for some time now, the issue is not what happens on Wednesday. Last week, I noted that Fed Chairman Powell went out of his way to telegraph what the Fed's going to do on Wednesday. He's very clear. He's recommending a 25 basis point hike in interest rates. We know that answer. The big question that we need to see the answer to on Wednesday is how many rate hikes they expect to announce throughout the rest of the year. So that's the dot plot. That is the little chart that shows how many members are expecting how many rate hikes at different periods throughout the rest of this year. So last week, we put in our weekly memo the uh, expectations of what the market is thinking about this. And I think at the time, there was a 20.8% chance of seven rate hikes. That number had dropped drastically last week after Fed Chairman Powell said he was only going to do a 25 basis point hike next week or this week. This week, the dot plot number for seven or more rate hikes jumped dramatically. It jumped back up to 33.3%. So what happens on Wednesday with the dot plot is going to be a big deal in terms of what the market's expectations are going to be for the rest of the year. If that dot plot shows six or seven or more uh, rate hikes, the market's going to look upon that poorly. If that dot plot shows less than that, the market is going to look on that very fondly. Now we watch and we wait. We're going to know a lot more by Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central. That one press release may have a bigger impact on the markets this year than Vladimir Putin. We will see. So with that, we'll leave you for the week. We will be back next week to discuss in great detail what these rate hikes are going to mean. And if you would like more information in the meantime, please don't hesitate to give us a call. You can reach us at the office at 515-273-1333 or feel free to visit us on the website at www.insightwealthgroup.com. We hope you have a great week. Looking forward to Wednesday. Take care. Securities offered through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.